I've listened to Avenged Sevenfold's self-titled album for nine months. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. I don't belong here. This, this. It's time to move on. Time to move on. Escape from this podcast life. <laughs> Mixtaper is going to take over my role uh, on the podcast and do double duty from now on. Oh, no. <laughs> Please, no. I'm begging you, stay. All right, you know what? For you, I'll stay, since you beg. Thank you. Yeah. This week, if you couldn't guess by that little tease of the lyrics that we did just now, if you didn't get that, that's what it was. This week we're talking about Avenged Sevenfold's self-titled album, sometimes called The White Album because of its color. I'm excited. Why are we doing so many color-themed albums? We just had the blue album with Weezer, now we're doing the white album for Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah, I know. Well, that's just the way it is. Valentine's Day's coming up. What are we going to do, the pink album? Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. We had a dispute last week a little bit about metal music, what heavy metal is and is not, and it is not Coldplay. I don't know if you've gone back and listened to Coldplay. Who's we? Who's we? Oh, sorry. The mixtaper and I, I guess. It wasn't you. You would never. Yeah, I would never. No, Ingrid Andrus might, (laughs) but I figured it was time that we had a proper metal album in the mix, because we've done a lot of other genres, and I wanted to wait before we dipped our toes into anything too heavy. But, you know, episode 28 seems like a good time. Here we are, dipping them toes. Spin it dipping in the spin it pond. <laughs> dipping our toes in the heavy metal pond. Any any TikTokers out there? Anyway. Um, yeah, so you, you have a little bit of familiarity with heavy metal music, yeah. right? You've introduced me to a couple of heavy bands. Have you listened to any Avenged Sevenfold prior to this? Uh, I've heard some of the songs, and there's one or two on this album that I definitely have heard before. But heavy metal music for me is always like background music. It's like pump up music, like if you're working out or like on a run or maybe playing like, you know, a video game, like a driving video game or a shooting video game, you know, uh, that you just want some sort of heart pumping heavy metal music in the background that you don't really have to pay attention to. Yeah, I've definitely used this album as background music during some FPS games and other things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't know about Avenged Sevenfold, I guess it's probably time that we teach you a little bit about Avenged Sevenfold. That is why you're here, I presume. In 1999, Avenged Sevenfold was formed by Matt Sander. All these people, by the way, all these people have stage names. Cool stage names. So I'll tell you their real name, and then I'll tell you their really cool stage names. I wish we had stage names. That's cool. Some of us have adopted more of a stage name personality sometimes than others. Like who? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, never mind. (laughs) No supervillains. But the band was founded by Matt Sanders, who's the vocalist, and his nickname, his stage name is M. Shadows. Very ominous. Then there was Jimmy Sullivan, who's known as The Rev. And he played the drums. He died in 2009, and he was replaced by Mike Portnoy, the former drummer of the band Dream Theater, if you're familiar with them. I'm not. Then there was Zachary Baker, who went by the name Zachy Vengeance, and he played the guitar and he sang. He came a little bit late, but he's kind of still a founding member, you know, from the first album onward, he's been around. Then there's Matt Went, and they've had a lot of bass player changes early on in their, in their band. So Matt Went was the first bass player. 
He was there for a year before he was replaced by Justin Meacham, who went by Justin Sane. Which is a great name. Right? Justin Sane. I know. Then he was replaced by Frank Malcolm, who went by Damian Ash. And then he was replaced by the long-term member, Jonathan Seward, a.k.a. Johnny Christ. And the last member into the band was Brian Hayner Jr., who goes by Sinister Gates or Sin. And nowadays, he's pretty much one of metal's most highly regarded guitarists. Yeah, and rightfully so. I mean, the guitar solos on these songs are great. Yeah, they really get you going. Those are the members of the band. A little trivia tidbit. Do you know how they got their name? The Bible. That's right. Avenged Sevenfold, you know, despite the content of a lot of these songs, their name is biblical in origin. It's from the story of Cain and Abel because Cain murders his brother, Abel, and God punishes Cain. He's like, you can't kill people like that. And Cain says, but if people find out that I killed my brother, they're going to murder me. And God says, no, no, anybody who kills Cain will, quote unquote, suffer sevenfold vengeance. So it's it's kind of the culmination of this really dark story that the band's name comes from. So the band's name would imply that somebody killed Cain. Uh, somebody killed Cain and Cain was avenged sevenfold. Yeah. Or are they supposed to be Cain? Yeah going on here i don't know well are they the ones that have been avenged sevenfold that somebody killed them it depends on the song you listen to are they kane i think you're looking into it too literally (laughs) mostly it's just a cool band name fair enough as far as awards go they really exploded onto the scene in 2006 the band was named the best new artist at the mtv music awards and they beat out some really really big names including rihanna chris brown panic at the disco and james blunt among others They've won Kerrang! Awards, Golden God Awards, Loudwire Awards, and they were nominated for a Best Rock Song Grammy in 2018. In total, over the course of their career, they've taken home some 22 awards on 40-ish nominations from 2006 to present. So, rock on. Nice. They belong here. Are you just going to keep quoting Afterlife? Well, it's the one lyric I can remember right now. So, yeah, that's pretty much where all my jokes are going to come from. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah, if you hear a random Afterlife quote thrown in, that's from Connor. (laughs) Now, the White Album that we're talking about is self-titled Avenged Sevenfold. It came out the day before Halloween, October 30th, 2007. Is that a little campy to you? Why? Well, I don't know. It just seems like a little bit of a gimmick. Like some of these songs on this album are a little bit almost like cheesy Halloween-y to a degree. Are they? Yeah, it feels a little on the nose to put it out the day before Halloween. Hmm, I didn't get that at all, really. Oh, well, well, we'll talk more about it. But they actually did have plans to release a Halloween EP, but it got scrapped. And when it did get scrapped, some of those songs made their way onto this record. I see. Yeah, so, I mean, parts of the record are intended to be Halloween-y. Fair enough. Yeah, of course, this is a heavy metal hard rock album, although what I like about this album is that it loves to just blend and mix a lot of different influences into one. Yeah, it does. It's kind of all over the place, but not. It's it's subtle and sprinkled throughout. The band cites artists like Metallica, The Beatles, Elton John, Leonard Cohen, Iron Maiden, and more as influences. You can probably pick out a lot of pieces of each of those influences. If you know what to look for and you're listening to the right songs close enough, you'll definitely hear the parts where they take little Metallica bits or little Elton John-ish style. I'm immediately thinking of which one screams Elton John to me. Oh, which one is that? The one with the really fast playing piano in the background. You're probably thinking of Unbound? Unbound. As soon as you said Ellen John, my brain went there. Yeah, that's one of the more unique songs on this record. I'm so excited to talk about some of these. I know, same. Some of these songs have some stories, man. Maybe we just canceled a mixtaper today. You know, just, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Skip factor spin. We're jumping right into it. We won't talk. Sorry, mixtaper. Take that, supervillain. Plans foiled. <laughs> well, 
the self-titled record here is Avenged Sevenfold's fourth studio album, and it was the last one to feature the Rev prior to his passing. So he drums and he does a lot of the secondary vocals on this one, and a lot of the songwriting too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's credited with a lot of the lyrics and a lot of the the music. It debuted at number four on the Billboard 200, and just last year in May of 2021, right about when I was listening to it. It was certified platinum in the U.S. for a million copies sold. Nice. Maybe I'm the one who got that the million. To it, the the million certification. Maybe I'm the one that got it there. We have no way to prove it wasn't you, so we're gonna say it was. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but that's all I have, you know. And I f- would feel too bad if we canceled the mixtaper. So I'm gonna say we go ahead and bring him on in. I'm sure he's prepared. Uh, yeah, and it's also one of my favorite parts, so... Oh, is it? Yeah, you just like to listen to that? I think it's a lot of the audience's favorite parts. I, I would imagine. So let's get the mixtaper on in here. He could probably make up some really, really unbelievable lies, and even, I bet he's got some unbelievable truths this week. I did! I did! It's me, the mixtaper. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on, you know, uh, introduction, blah, blah, blah. Let's jump right into Fact or Spin. I'm excited. Present me with your first quote-unquote fact. Oh, yeah, well, of course. They're always quote-unquote. The quote-unquote is in the... Is, there's an asterisk next to the word fact, and if you read the fine print, it just says quote-unquote. <laughs> fact, asterisk, or spin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. First fact, the band played at a WNBA championship game. Ooh, interesting. Okay, I like this fact. When was the championship game? 2008. Okay. Right after they were, you know, releasing this album, they were named the best new artist in 2006. So they were already kind of established. Did they play like a halftime show or the national anthem? What'd they do? It was a, it was a pregame show. Okay, a pregame show. Who played in the 2008 WNBA National Championship? Ah, I figured you'd ask this. So, uh, you know, unlike in the past where I didn't bother to get that information, I went and got it. It's the Detroit Shock and the San Antonio Silver Stars. Detroit won. Detroit won. All right. Detroit, baby. <laughs> Were they alone? Did anyone else also play an opening act or like in the middle of the show or after the game? No, it was just them. How long was their set? What did they play? They performed a 30-minute set. Don't know what they played. Okay. And how'd they get this connection? Because ah. I'm not necessarily certain that the audiences for the WNBA and Avenge Sevenfold have a ton of overlap not to say that there's none because there's always some overlap for everything especially when it comes to music but what's the hookup they got this connection through m shadow's sister okay is she a wnba athlete correct amy sanders is a professional basketball player who played for the detroit shock for the 2007 and 2008 seasons oh no this is the same mick fleetwood's got a brother in the olympics it's the same thing (laughs) interesting only other piece of information i have for you is that instead of payment, they had the WNBA make a $50,000 donation to Notes for Notes organization, which is a nonprofit that builds, equips, and staffs school recording studios. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, so when you first started that sentence and you said, instead of payment, I went, uh-oh, what's this part going to be? <laughs> but actually, it was like really good, a wholesome thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm going to say this is a fact. I believe this. Going with fact. Yeah, lock it in. Locked in. This is a spin. Oh, really? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. M. Shadow's sister did play for the team in the 2007 season, not the 2008 season. I had to add that because that's when the game was. The game was correct. The teams, the winning, all that. It's just the sister wasn't on the team that year and they didn't play. But they do here just back in, I think, 2019 it was sold a bunch of their old equipment and all the proceeds went to notes for notes. So that's where I got that. From. Oh, okay. Well, 
crap. <laughs> it's not a strong start. <laughs> not a strong start. Well, it was a strong start for me. You know, it was a great spin. Yeah, I want to commend you on the thoroughness of that fake fact. That was really yes. believable. Usually they're a little out there, you know, like people getting their horses caught in a Walmart or whatever. But this one uh, yeah. based in reality. Well, speaking of out there. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the band had a pet rooster. <laughs> the band has collectively all of the members share a single pet rooster. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, the rooster specifically belongs to uh, Sinister Gates, but it's like the band's little private mascot. Why does he have a rooster? It was a wedding present. No flipping way. What? Who gave Sin Gates a, a, a rooster for his wedding present? <laughs> I don't know who gave it to him, but uh, they had the rooster between 2010 and 2014 when it died. What? Like, why? Come on. Was that on his, like, registry? Did he, you know... <laughs> Have a registered tractor supply company or something. He's like, I want a rooster. You know, if you're thinking about it, we'd love this. Thanks. I'm gonna guess it was some sort of inside joke, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. That is not. That just feels like an inside joke style that, gift. No, it doesn't. No, don't ever. I don't care what our inside jokes are. Nobody give me like a live animal that I'm gonna have to care for that I'm not expecting as a joke <laughs> gift. Fair what was the rooster's name? Uh, the rooster's name was Peter. Peter. Yeah. Okay, what did they, did they tour with it? Did it come with them on the road? <laughs> it never went on tour, but it did go to the recording studio with Gates once. Once? Why only once? Eh, that's just what the article said. This is bizarre. The The rooster's name, Peter, is also biblically inspired, like the band's name. Is it? Wow. Yeah, it's named after, you know, Peter, you know, one of the disciples, and specifically the line... That Jesus, you know, is quoted saying, before the rooster crows, you will deny me oh, three times. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's where they got Peter from. That's clever. Because he says that to Peter. No way. It's clever, but is it is it true? I'm calling it a spin. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in the spin towel on this. I don't think Avenged Sevenfold collectively had a, a rooster mascot named after Biblical Peter. This fact... Is it spin? Ah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that one C was a little less believable. <laughs> it was out like you know, I was hoping for so far out there, you'd believe it. Uh I'm assuming there was no truth in that. I had read about how the band had biblically inspired names, and I was like, what else could I do biblically inspired? And I was like, let's do an animal that has a biblically inspired name. And so I just typed in animal references in the Bible in the Google, and I found that one. I was like, all right, yeah, pet rooster. Here we go. Oh, the wedding <laughs> present is really where things started to crumble for you. <sighs> I didn't know how else to say he got it. I mean, lived on a farm. I guess. I don't know. I mean, you could have come up with a couple things here. Wedding present. Uh, we had Michael Jackson who got given an elephant uh, for having a wedding on his property, you know, so uh, it's not that far out there. I guess not. Okay. Good. No shutout on Peter the Rooster. Yeah, no shutout. No shutout. Up next, Zacky Vengeance has delphinophobia. Well, we're going to get into it on this one. What is that? <laughs> the fear of dolphins. Why? <laughs> uh, as a child, he had nightmares about dolphins and sea lions. What? Just just because? What he said? He said he would be he was plagued with nightmares of dolphins and sea lions. No way. Wow. Did he do anything to, like, cope with it or recover from it? I mean, has he, like, tried to slowly introduce himself to dolphins to get more used to them? I don't know. Yes. Really? Yes. One time while on vacation in Cancun, he tried to go swimming with dolphins to conquer his fear. Oh, my gosh. How'd it go? Not well. No? <laughs> what happened? 
Uh, he made it to, it was one of those ones where you go out, like, into the sea and swim with dolphins out there, you know? Uh, yeah, out in the sea, where dolphins are. Yeah, either way. He made it to the dolphins before violently throwing up and then spending the rest of the trip in his hotel room and at the oh. resort bar. Oh, it was like a throw-up fear. But I guess he probably was nervous about jumping in the It water. also could have been, yeah, yeah, and then seasickness probably hit, who knows, but... Does he specifically mention, like, what he doesn't like about dolphins? Uh, he finds them terrifying. They're too smart. How does he feel about people? Well... <laughs> I'm just saying. I think people right, he yeah. can handle, because he's a person, right? <laughs> well, do you think dolphins get afraid of people for the same reasons? Well, maybe. Maybe. I feel like most animals get afraid of people. You're right. I <laughs> think this is a ridiculous fact, and I think I like it. I'm gonna say it's true. Going with true. Yeah, just imagine being in a heavy metal band and singing songs about, like, murder and, like, absolute, just, like, all this stuff, and then being afraid of cute little dolphins. That was exactly my thought when I made it up. It's a spin! <laughs> oh, man. You had me in the first half. That's unfortunate. That's pretty sad. Yeah. Is he afraid of anything? Not that I'm aware of. I'm sure he's afraid of something. That's true. Got one more for you. All right. All right. I'm feeling bad about that. I yeah. That one was similarly unbelievable. And that was one of those ones you wanted it to be true too much that you couldn't see past the lies. I, yeah, you're right. Uh, my last one. M. Shadows and Sinister Gates are brothers-in-law. Interesting. Were they brothers-in-law when they started the band? Is that how they got connected? No, they started the band in high school. So who is married to whom? M. Shadows is ma- married to Valerie De- Di Benedito, is how I'm going to choose to pronounce that. Uh, and Sinister Gates is married to the twin sister, Michelle Di Benedito. Oh, okay. So they found twins and married them. Yes, and they found them in sixth grade. What? They met the twins in sixth grade. I guess it was eighth grade for Gates when he moved schools to the same school that Shadows was at, but Shadows met them in sixth grade. Wow. Interesting. How long were they, like, dating, respectively, before they got married? If they'd known each other for so long. That's what I couldn't find. I don't know when they officially started dating, if they were, like, high school sweethearts or not, but I know Valerie and Shadows got married in 2009, and then Michelle and Sinister Gates got married in 2010, when they didn't get a rooster. When they didn't, yeah. The rooster was not a wedding present, confirmed. (laughs) Interesting. That's a really interesting fact. Um, But is it true? Yeah, I think that sounds true. I'm skeptical of it, I guess, but I'm skeptical of everything you say. (laughs) I guess I feel like it just has to be true because you've lied really bad three times. Yeah, so you're thinking I didn't go with all spins this week? I'm hoping you didn't go with all spins, but I am going to say fact. Well, I should have went with all spins because this is indeed a fact. All right. All right. I almost went with, like, because they're not identical twins. I was going to go with they were identical twins and have something, like, a story about, like, them getting confused. Like, I thought about turning this into a spin, but I I decided I wanted to have at least one true fact, and so I didn't. Interesting. So you know what that means. I should have known that whatever I said was going to be the correct answer because we had to end two and two. We had to do the 50-50 split. (laughs) Maybe someday. Yeah. Are you afraid of dolphins? Uh, I'm not. Sloths, construction workers, absolutely terrifying. Dolphins, easy peasy. Easy peasy. (laughs) Dolphins, easy peasy. Quote the (laughs) mixtaper. All right. Well, uh, I'll see you next week when we have a pretty exciting, I'm excited for the next week album, but we'll, we'll see you next week and we'll have some more facts and spins waiting for you. I'll see you. See you next time. Yeah. All right. Welcome back, Connor. 
How was that? Did that tickle your factor spin fancy? Yeah, it was great. I, I, I love watching you go toe-to-toe with the newspaper. I was a little worried there. You didn't start off strong. No, the first one was a was a lie, and I failed that. But every, everything after that, I'm pretty comfortable with. Well, even the Dolphins? You struggled with Dolphins. Well, I, I missed it, but... Dolphins and WNBA are apparently your cruxes. Yeah, my two weaknesses. <laughs> Dolphins in the WNBA. Let's talk about the album art on this album. It, yeah, let's do it. It's the white album. The Death Bat. It is, yeah, the, the album cover features the band's logo, which is sometimes called the Death Bat or the Skull Bat. And if you don't know what that looks like just from me saying Skull Bat, well, it's a, it's skull, a skull with, with bat, bat wings. wings. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, it's pretty simple. It is. It, it fits a heavy metal band. Oh, yeah, certainly. There's more than one song about death on here no songs about bats but which is a shame really tragedy yeah <laughs> avenge sevenfold we need more bat content especially if this was especially if so much of this was supposed to be a halloween album like come on where's the bats yeah well you know it happens i guess <laughs> the death bat logo came about after their second album waking the fallen sometime around 2003 they started to use this logo and there was actually some controversy over whether the band stole it from the 1980s band overkill oh really but after a little bit of squabbling about that, neither of them actually has any claim to it. It's pretty much public domain because people have found old drawings of skulls with bat wings that date back to the 12th century. Oh. It's an old logo, but nowadays it kind of represents Avenged Sevenfold almost exclusively. That's pretty much all I have about the album. One thing I will point out is the parental advisory sticker yep. in the bottom corner of the album. Yep. That's one I want to mention right at the top. Uh, if you're a person that does not like that stuff in your music, maybe skip this one. But if you don't mind it... Just listen to us talk about it. Yeah, you could just listen to us talk about it. I'm not even sure how we're going to talk about one or two of these. Yeah. But, but we'll figure it out. So, you know, just go in with knowledge. Uh, the podcast is clean, the album is not. Consider yourself advised parentally. It, yeah, we are <laughs> your new parents. <laughs> And we advise you accordingly. (laughs) Uh, The first song on this album is called Critical Acclaim. Yes. What a good start to this album with that organ. That's a great start. I love it. Yeah, that organ started. I was like, okay. And you know what? Now that I think about organ, Halloween, all right, I'm seeing it. Yeah, right off the bat, it it throws you right. No no bats. No bats, right? That's why we're (laughs) off the bat. Right off. This is the record's first single, and it's about people who are really quick to judge and criticize the military or the armed forces, but haven't and or would never join themselves. Hence, the critical part of critical acclaim. Yeah. It's kind of a, a play on words, yeah, you know, because critical acclaim means that critics find it really good. But they're, like, crapping all over it but, and being critical about it. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of full of those classic heavy metal themes. It's very F.U., right? It really stands alone. Yeah, it's very uh, anti, anti, I don't want to say establishment, but you know, there's some of that in there. It's anti-something, which I think is a hallmark of the metal genre. It's definitely anti. Anti. <laughs> I liked when that guitar came in at the beginning, too, over top of the organ. Yeah. I, this song actually put me on a bit of a roller coaster because I was like, nice organ, okay. And then, like, okay, the guitar. And then, like, it kicked it into, like, 11th gear and i was like nope it's lost me but then they started singing and i was like oh never mind i'm back i found my way back yeah the vocals <laughs> took a wrong turn like i was just like whiplash there for a moment i know the the lyrics the rhythm of the lyrics on the verse mm-hmm. is so good it's very good i like how they draw out certain words like feed off others insecurities you stand in front uh-huh. of me and bite the hand that feeds. it's it it really flows well with the music that's behind it 
It does. Because it's punchy where it needs to, but then it's more drawn out where it needs to be, too. They don't overdraw things out. Right, right. Man, the, the lyric in there, blaming their own nation for who wins elections, if that's not still relevant. Yeah, today. you know, in 2007, <laughs> who knew? The Rev sings the chorus. This, I've had enough, it's time for something real. I love the, the Rev has a great singing voice. Absolutely, he did. And I mean, I've heard nothing like it in all of my musical journeys. He's really yeah. just such a unique personality, such a unique drumming and songwriting style. The band really took a hit when he passed away. Yeah. But they persisted. It's just so interesting to me to hear everything he's done on this album, especially given, you know, what was following shortly. Some of these songs like Brompton Cocktail, uh, they hit a little different after he passed. Yeah. The bridge on this song is super scathing, too. Excuse the obscene, ignore the untrue depictions we see, try and get through. This whole, you know, you excuse all of the bad things and you ignore all the the fake stuff like we're trying to just trying to push past all the lies out there i think Avenged sevenfold would be anti-mixtaper yeah it, it kind of is uh ignore the untrue like he lives in the untrue yeah i know i'm fairly certain he has a sign over his room here in the apartment that just says the untrue he, oh he lives That's the name of his little man cave the name of the mixtaper's lair is the untrue <laughs> lair there the interesting little bit of lore there <laughs> anyway yeah critical acclaim it's a great start to the record their guitar work is stellar right off the bat i love it and you know what they make it sound almost easy they do but not as much as they make the next song sound almost easy what do you think of the next song i really like it you know the rev actually wrote this song and throwback to machine gun kelly Rewind it all the way back to episode nine. It was supposed to be in the Transformers movie. <laughs> I saw that. I had that in my notes. I saw that uh, Nick Saber showed it to me when he was researching Factor Spin. Yeah. Apparently the band said that it was supposed to be in the Transformers movie, but it transformed into not being in the movie. Right. <laughs> I know. I love say. that. I love that. Uh, but it is in the Pro, uh, Need for Speed Pro Street video game. Yes, it is. Which I've played. Which is, this is, of all the songs on this album, this is the weirdest one to be in a Need for Speed game, I think. Uh, there's a lot of them that just couldn't be in a video game, I think. Uh, that's, you know what, a good point. It's one of the few that actually would be cleared. You got a point. Sinister Gates actually didn't like this song. He called it too cheesy, and he didn't want to play it. Mm. But eventually, the, the old school vibe that it has, quote unquote, the old school vibe brought him back. This song was originally in Connor Top 3, but then it got beat out down to Connorable Mention, and then beat out again down to not being in oh, any wow. of my picks. It kept falling and falling it and falling. It kept falling, but it, it came out as a big contender. It was up there for a bit. Some other things knocked it down a peg or two. I'm curious to see what it was. I've always liked Almost Easy a lot. I did too. It's one of the more sing-alongable choruses, I suppose. The one, you know, I can get into that hook. Yeah, it absolutely does. I had in my notes. I don't even mind how repetitive the chorus is because of how catchy the melody is. It's just so sing-alongable. Yeah, it's kind of a sad song. It's about trying to forgive someone and how almost easy it is to come back once you've turned someone away. Yeah. But the implication, right, the lightities of it being almost easy, is that it's still hard. It's not easy, but it's almost there. It's it's a very cool play on words. Yeah, it's like just hard enough. <laughs> yeah, just an, it's just difficult enough that we can't do it. Yep. As M. Shadows puts it, he says, lyrically, it's about people messing up a lot in their lives. They screw up all the time, and sometimes it's easy to forgive those people. Sometimes it's not. It's always easy to say you're forgiven, but deep in your heart, you really don't want to forgive that person because 
almost easy as the catchphrase. I wrote in my notes that this was probably the closest to a ballad I was going to get on a heavy metal album, and boy, was I wrong about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely not the closest. <laughs> and that's part of the genre blending, I think. The reason you get so many other ballad-type songs on this 10-track record is because they're not afraid to blend genres and stuff that we get later. Stuff like, you know, Dear God and other things are going to slow it down and lean more into different genres. They're not full-on hard rock all the time. I feel like that's all I have about Almost Easy. Same. Track three. Track three is interesting. It's called Scream. And uh, yeah, it's it's so interesting that the way the band thinks about this song to me, it's a bit of a slower tempo song. Uh-huh. You know, they put it here to slow the album down after the first two tracks. The band and M Shadows, they say the song has a strip club vibe. Interesting. I didn't get that at all. I did not either. Do you know Scream? Scream does not have a strip club vibe to me. Uh, you know I make you want to scream. It's too late. You've wasted all your time. I mean, I kind of get it in the lyric, you know, like... In the sound. I get it in the sound, I guess. Yeah. But I don't get it in the lyrics one tiny bit. Well... They wanted, when they wrote this song, they wanted a song that represented what they called pleasure through killing, but they challenged themselves to make it relatively nonviolent. Yeah. So that's how we landed on this image of the scream, right? Instead of focusing on the violence that precedes it. I feel like... What- they were going for is echoed in a more violent way on a little piece of heaven that we'll get to (laughs) yeah absolutely you know it's like it's like the similar concept but just less violent right and i think it's cool that they've challenged themselves to frame the song in that way right because that makes you look at this a whole different way instead of just writing another basic oh i'm going to kill you song uh this one forces the band to pivot and take this angle of I make you want to scream. Yeah, it needs to be like, I'm going to kill you erotically. Well, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess that's the angle. (laughs) It's weird. It's a weird song. It is a weird song. I have my only note on the song that I wrote down as I was like listening to it and my brain was just breaking as I was listening to it. And the only thing I wrote down was it's a nice beat to groove to. So like. You said it was like club, like you said, you can kind of see that in the beat. I like this song. Lyrically, I'm a little iffy on it, but I really do love the music that's behind it. Same. It's one of the strongest musical tracks, I think. Yeah, the music's great. I don't know about strongest, but it's up there. It's Yeah, it's up there. There's 10 of them, and it's it's got to be in the top five. It's in the top 50%. Yeah. Scream till there's silence, scream where there's life left vanishing. Yikes. Yeah, right? It's pretty intense. It's intense, but if you are going to use metal music like you do as background music or exercise music or video game music, I mean, this might be exactly the kind of thing you want, that that musical vibe, because you're focused on things other than the lyrics. Yeah, again, the lyrics and the way that I use it don't really matter as much. Right. Now, of course, for the podcast, the lyrics mattered a bunch, and my notes and my score reflect that. But in terms of how I would enjoy it like in my day-to-day life, the lyrics are probably the least important aspect of the entire song. Right. Now, ooh, do you want to introduce the next one? You've already mentioned it several times. Yeah, up next, Afterlife, the first in the Connor Top 3 and the beginning of a nice hot streak for this album, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I think, yeah. This is really where the album locks in for me. Uh, Well, honestly, I would back it up and start it with Scream. I'd start my hot streak with Scream, but... Like I said, Scream was a great groove, but when I had to think about the lyrics and everything else... In a day-to-day life, I'd probably agree with you, but for the podcast, I think the hot streak starts with Afterlife. Oh, in day-to-day life, I'd agree with you, but this hour specifically, absolutely not. Yep. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Can you pick it up when I'm putting down? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to put it back down. Pick it up again. Yeah. <laughs> Afterlife is another one of the album's singles and one of its bigger tracks. And yeah, it is. One of the ones I've heard before, too. That doesn't surprise me. I didn't recognize it until we got to the course. Like, we started, like, oh, a string start. I like this. I don't, And then it hit the course, like, oh, I know this. <laughs> right. Yeah, this song is about a person who's died or suffered a really, really close-to-death experience, but they're trying to not be done living their life on Earth. They're kind of regretting all the things that they didn't do and finding all these things that are wrong with the afterlife that they're experiencing. Yeah. It's very interesting, because in verse 1, the speaker gets to the afterlife. I see a distant light, but girl, uh, because, you know, obviously that makes sense, right? Obviously, it has to be sung to a girl in the afterlife anyway. Oh, maybe it's about, like, getting back to me singing it about the girl he's left behind me. I mean, it could be, yeah. But anyway, I see a distant light, but girl, this can't be right. He goes on to say, such a surreal place to see I have arrived too early, which clues us into the fact that this person has had a, a near-death experience prematurely, or at least as far as they're concerned. They believe it was too soon. They didn't even get their wedding rooster yet. They didn't even get the wedding rooster. <laughs> the chorus is where the speaker realizes that he has to escape from this afterlife, and I love the shift into the chorus melody. Uh, this is, I think, one of the best choruses on the album. It's up there. Absolutely. You've already been singing it. I don't belong here. It's one of the most catchy, the, 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 the sentiment, the groove... It's perfect in all, almost every aspect. Yeah, and I love the way we fall out of that wonderful melody on the chorus right back into this this grind on verse 2. Yeah. Because the way that they structure that melody, it kind of ends on this note that just, just drives you straight down. Place of hope and no pain. Like, it falls off at the end of every every phrase. Yeah. And it's very different. I like it. I do, too. I said it's in top three. And I'm going to say right here, right now, for the audience... You know, here lately I've been able to put my top three in somewhat of an order. I don't think I am this week. I think it's this, an album like this is why the top three was invented. All right. So that I didn't have to pick a favorite. <laughs> so, you, so you could just get by not having to make a decision. Correct. <laughs> I understand. I understand. In addition to the chorus, I mean, you mentioned it is one of the strongest on the record. The bridge is one of the best on the record as well. Yep. Loved ones back home all crying because they're already missing me. I pray by the grace of God that there's somebody listening. Like, Lord, you got to let go of me. It's such a genuine plea. Like, it's so simple but profound and very different. Because usually when you think of, you know, this person's died and presumably gone to like a heaven type afterlife the, to the good place. Yeah. And they're like, no, I want to get out of this, even though it's perfect in paradise. I know. The, well, the parenthetical line that comes after what you said, you know, the I am unbroken. I'm choking on this ecstasy. Yeah. Like. An ecstasy something that like makes you feel good, makes you happy, right? And the fact that they're choking on it, it's like, no, I don't want it. It's too much. I need to go back. Right. And to think about I am unbroken, to be to refer to being like made complete in in the afterlife as being unbroken. Yeah. It's so interesting because it just reinforces the idea that you were broken before during your time on earth and you strive to go back. But you'd want to go back you'd rather go back to being broken than live here at Whole. Yeah, it is so interesting. Want to go back and have another chance. And this album is full of little, little tiny bite-sized twists like that. The way that they decide to present some of these ideas, it's just so clever. Some of these little one-word things that make you think about the concept in a different way. Absolutely. The next song is one of the biggest genre blend, genre blended. It's not really a word. I just made it up. 
Uh, Gunslinger is the next track, and it's one of the most uh, country-influenced songs on this record, I think. Yeah, and another Connor Top 3! Yeah? Yeah. Interesting. I really like this song. I really like it too, but it does kind of stick out like a sore thumb sonically. I mean, lyrically. Lyrically, it's totally in theme, because... It's an ode to all the soldiers, to the army and the armed forces. Uh Uh-huh. Just like we saw in Critical Acclaim, but instead of being a middle finger to people who dislike the armed services, this is kind of a tribute. It only is that way until about verse 2, where it picks up. Yeah. It picks back up in verse 2. That beginning, I kind of liked it. It, You know, we're at the halfway point on the album, track 5 out of 10. So I think doing something new to kind of wake the audience up by having that softer start. Um, before you get back into what they're used to hearing in verse 2 is a smart way to kind of wake your audience up. Oh, definitely. To pump the brakes the way that it does. Especially if you're using it as background or like running music, right? You're going to be hearing all these like heart-pumping songs and then all of a sudden it's going to drop off to this and you're going to be like, wait, what's happening? You know, it's going to instantly pull your focus back in. Yeah. Yeah, the speaker in this song is a soldier who's out in the field reassuring his loved ones that after all this time I'm coming home to you. It's... Very interesting, because, you know, the song starts and you think, oh, a soldier out in the field, he's coming home. But then towards the end of it, I started to think, you know, I wonder where this song really ends. Yeah. Because it starts to sound like coming home is dying, and his loved ones have already passed. I think it's almost one of those coming home one way or another, you know, situations. Uh, yeah. Like, one way or another, I'm coming home. I don't know if we really get an answer on which way it is. I don't think we do, but I'm kind of led in a particular direction by some of these lines. You know, the chorus starts out, I reach towards the sky, I've said my goodbyes. That's not a thing you do if you're about to come home. Right. You know, my heart's always with you. My prayers have made it through. And then, and then of course, we have the line in the third verse, the stars in the night lend me their light to bring me closer to heaven with you, which is just beautiful imagery. Which, oh, oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Shoot like a gunslinger. What? What if... He is dying, and the person he's coming home to is also already dead. And so he's coming home to them up in heaven. That's what I said. Right? Is that what you said? Yeah, yes. I had the thought as you were saying it, and I kind of just started saying, oh, shoot, and stopped listening to you. Yeah, no, that's kind of what I thought, is it sounds like he's coming home by dying. Like, like. Yeah, well, uh, so you said that. You said that, and my brain went to, like, they're home waiting, and sh- they're just going to get his dead body back, you know? Oh, gosh, no. That's so dark. You know, like, like when a soldier comes, that's how, in my brain, that was the two ways I had it, was he was coming home alive, or he was coming home, you know, in a casket, and, like, either way, he was coming home. I hadn't even imagined the loved one already being dead until you said the, about the line in verse three. So, like, that just blew my brain, and... <laughs> Well, good thing this song's already in the Connor Top 3. Yeah, it definitely is in the Connor Top 3 now, because that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, like, it's not awesome that he's dying, but it's... <laughs> no, it's a very innovative twist. Yeah, uh. And it's so cool to put this song right after Afterlife, where we said, oh, this is a bad thing in this afterlife. Yeah. This song really kind of puts me in the frame of mind that maybe the afterlife isn't bad, because we'll reunite with all the loved ones that we've lost. Yeah. It's such a, I mean, kind of a, a whiplash thematically between those two things but it's very cool it's like two sides of the death coin you know you get your people who two sides of the death coin (laughs) Uh, you get your people who are embracing death you know for what it is and then your people who are railing against it you know gone too soon i i'm not finished yet unfinished business kind of stuff you know yeah very much 
And then, of course, the next song is just a whole other perspective on that, which is just about the ups and downs of life, of being alive. The third side of the death coin. The third side of the death coin is being alive. <laughs> Track six is Unbound, parentheses, The Wild Ride. Another another uh, good one. It sure is. Now, this song, you mentioned that you like all the fast piano and stuff in it. It kind of reminded you of Elton John. Yeah. This song has some really interesting origins. Really? Yeah, it had a working title. Many of these songs on this album had working titles because they had all the framework for it. Maybe they were missing lyrics and stuff. They weren't sure what they wanted to call it. And then the titles we got were their weekend titles. No, eventually they figured out what they wanted to call these songs. Maybe they were missing lyrics or stuff at at the time. But the working titles in the studio sometimes are telling of what they thought the song sounded like. This song's working title was Disneyland Acid Trip. Yeah, I, I get that. And that explains why, parenthetically, it's called The Wild Ride. Right, yeah. M. Shadows and Sinister Gates pictured this song as a magic carpet ride, and then they realized after they wrote it that it was like an acid trip at Disneyland. When they were making this record, M. Shadows thought that this was his favorite song in, you know, in 2007. But a decade later, in 2017, he did an interview and he renounced that, and he said the song was too, quote-unquote, sugary for him, whatever that means. Yeah, weird. It is, isn't it? I know. It is kind of a sugary song. I mean, to talk about how it's Elton John-esque and Disneyland-y, it it certainly feels that way a little bit. And it's not as dark lyrically as some of the others at all. Yeah. At all. I mean, the Unbound Ride is life. Simple as that. It's just that piano. I, I, I was like a good chunk of the way into the song before I even really noticed what the piano was doing. You know, it was like it was background instrumentation for most of the song. Yeah, but it's really dynamic background instrumentation. It's really dynamic. Yeah, it's very interesting. The chorus of the song says, This ride that takes me through life leads me into darkness but emerges into light. No one can slow me down, I'll stay unbound. It's kind of the opposite of of everything we've just talked about, like I mentioned, on Afterlife, being bound, being unbroken, whatever, that's all there. And then this idea of, of being led through darkness but emerging into light. A lot of these songs lead you into darkness, uh, a la Scream or Critical Acclaim, you know, other things, but they rarely emerge into light like this. So it's interesting that that's the direction they chose to take, and I think that's what makes this song a little bit of an outlier. I agree. Yeah, and of course the song ends with a choir that comes in, and that's a little much for me. That feels a little bit like not the move. Honestly, you talked about Gunslinger feeling out of place, like, sonically. Like, the the choir was probably the most out of place thing I felt on the album. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think the ending of Unbound, just cut it off. Do away with it. Yep, get it out of here. They end with this outro by a choir of kids, and it just doesn't land, I guess, the way that they wanted it to. I guess if they thought it was Disneyland. I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> it's it's also weird to have kids sing the line, the hands of time strip youth from our bodies. That's weird. What are we talking about? Yeah, that's, that is weird. I don't like that. It's like, no. No, I don't like it either. <laughs> So I'm saying, you know, let's just chop off the end of Unbound. It's a little too much. Let's just, yeah, cut our losses and go home. <laughs> I guess Unbound, if you think of the album as a wild ride, as a roller coaster, Unbound is the part that would bring you up the hill again and kind of keep you at the top before we dive straight back down into darkness on Brompton Cocktail. Brompton Cocktail gets Connorable mention. As it should. This was... Kind of one of my favorites right off the bat, at least musically. Yeah. It's another darker song, and it's a little bit experimental on the band's part. 
it starts with that like whining sound. I don't even know how else to describe it other than whining sound that then gets layered with some bongos. <laughs> we have a few more, a uh, few more tastier bongos in there. That's like our third or fourth album to have some tasty bongos on. Quite it. a few, yeah. Honestly, I always love a good tasty bongo. Yeah, if you're unfamiliar with the concept of the Brompton cocktail. It's basically a pain relief mm-hmm. mix. It's it's a song about someone who's really sick and on their deathbed, and they're begging for a doctor just to give them this cocktail so that they can go out on their own terms or feeling alive and not being in pain. Or, you know, it was prominent in the mid-20th century. Medically, it's considered obsolete now since there are better and more effective drugs. Yeah. But it used to be kind of like the, the last resort painkiller. Yeah. And I mean, when I say last resort, I mean really last resort. Yeah. Because traditionally, the Brompton cocktail was made from morphine or heroin, cocaine, and ethyl alcohol. Yeah. It's like there's, you're dead in a matter of hours to days, and you just want to go out happy as can be. You know, you want to be like you're on an acid ride at Disney, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. Some of those substances are actually the same that were found in the Rev system on the toxicology report. Oh, really? Yeah, which is... Kind of what makes this song so striking. Uh, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, and this is a song, you know, a lot of these other tracks have kind of taken some clever angles. This is a song that is just a straight shooter right from the first verse. Doc, I'm dying. I lost my final fight to disease. I need that shot to enter my vein. I mean, that's it. That's the story. Yeah. And I like the way we kind of expound upon that idea in verse two. I'm tired. Induced euphoria to help me move along. I want to meet my maker in peace. Want to feel alive again, so mix it strong, my friend. It's it's a pretty intense song, yeah. In in a real sense, you know, some of these songs you listen to something like a little piece of heaven that we'll get to, or even scream, right? You're like, okay, yeah, but like you're not really. It's not a real thing. Brompton cocktail blend feels extremely grounded in reality. Like this is a thing that could and did happen to people when Brompton cocktails were around. I'm sure people actually felt this. That chorus bit with the I'm not running away, you know, it really just pulls the whole song together, in my opinion, that part of the chorus. Absolutely. This song is the song that knocked Almost Easy out of top three down into Honorable Mention. Mm, Understandable, to be honest. Yeah, I get that. And then you'll notice this song ended up as Honorable Mention, so something knocked it out of the top three. You're right. (laughs) Oh, everything's knocking everything. That's a dangerous thing because there's only three songs left. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you which one I'm pretty sure didn't knock it out of the top three. That's Lost. (laughs) I really liked Lost. You did? I did. Interesting. I enjoyed Lost a lot. Lost was the original Conorable Mention before Bronson Cocktail got knocked down to Conorable. Wow. So I guess it would be the Conorable Conorable Mention. I can't believe how all these songs have played bumper cars on your top three this week. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Usually it's almost a no contest and you're pretty adamant about this is the better half, this is the worse half or or whatever. But this week it, it just all sounds very fluid. I told you, we hit Afterlife and it just started this hot streak where every song was like, yes, I like this, I like this. And like, I just didn't know what to do with my top three. I just kept having to be like, nope, I guess it's this one. No, I guess it's this one. Like, that's what I said. I don't know if I can put them in order this week. I mean, that's fair. I barely was able to put them in the top three at all. <laughs> I, I understand. This album is is remarkably consistent at a high level. Uh-huh. You know, some of these albums have been consistent, but they've been like, eh. But but this is definitely one that I think has a similar... Since, and, and since it sounds like I like this song more than you, I guess I'll kick off with some of my notes on it, and then you can chime in. 
I loved that guitar solo we started off with. It was a minute long. Uh-huh. Uh, and it went by faster than, I think, anything we've done on this podcast. Like, that minute just zoomed by. I, I'm telling Chance the Rapper. I, I, that's, I didn't <laughs> want to say it, but yes. <laughs> I know that's exactly what you were thinking of. Yeah. And like, that's how you hold the attention of an audience. Yeah. This song also had a working title when it was in production, and its working title was Fast Melodic. And that's exactly what that guitar solo opens us up on. It is fast and it is melodic. Yeah. It's just, it feels weird to me, you know? Uh, it's a song about war, right? How humans are always predisposed to move towards conflict. Mm-hmm. And in that way, we're all lost. But I just feel like the chorus hasn't aged well from a production standpoint. It feels a little synthetic and, and dated. It feels very 2007 to me. Some of the vocal effects in particular just... They really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, I liked it. There, there was just tons, you know, the verses and choruses and stuff just interrupted with random instrumental bits, and I just, so I just really liked how instrumental the song ended up being as well. Like it's a, it's a four minute and twelve second song. The first minute's all instrumentals, you know, and so in the last three minutes and twelve seconds, it's just I'd say another half of it is still instrumental. Like they zoom through the, the lyrics and just like to put in a lot of instrumental stuff. That is true, and it's interesting because it's not a song that's light on lyrics. No, it's not. It's just it's got just as many lyrics as another song, but somehow they're cr- they're dense. They're crammed in there. They zoom through them. I liked it. So I originally gave a honorable mention. I agree with you. It's not like as a song as a whole necessarily as good of a contender like Afterlife is. You know, right? Um, but it was. I really enjoyed it, and so that's why I originally had this honorable mention. So it's my honorable mention. Honorable. <laughs> right. Yeah, now, I guess that's it for Lost. The next song is the one that I'm not sure how to even approach talking about from a uh, let's-keep-the-podcast-clean standpoint. We'll do our best, but, I mean, forgive us. Look at the subject matter we're working with here. Yeah. It's called A Little Piece of Heaven. I was so excited for you to listen to this song. Man, my first note on this was these starts, man. So fun. I think if I had to have one, like statement that summed up my experience listening to this album as a whole was that this band has probably done the best at consistently starting their songs on a high yeah i yeah i can see that the way that every song starts even if it ends up being a song you don't really care for it always starts in a way that engages you and goes i might care for this right no that's such a good point and that's such an important part of writing a good song is luring the audience in there right away setting the hook Mm mm-hmm and then my very next note was, well, that took a dark turn fast. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. This song feels like, you know, we, we talked on the Christmas episode a little bit, the, the holiday singles. We talked about Nightmare Before Christmas. This song is that, but on drugs. Yeah, this is like Nightmare Before Christmas, but rated R. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So let's start off with the background before we get too far into it. All right. This is another The Rev original. The Rev had a dream, which gave him the idea for the story and the music video for the song. I don't know what he's dreaming about, but yikes. Uh, (laughs) This song was the one that was going to be on the Halloween EP that never was. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I know. The label heard it, and they decided that it needed to be on the album because it was so good. Such a, a centerpiece of the record. And honestly, I think it's my favorite track on the record, or close. I wondered if you'd say that. I was kind of hoping you wouldn't because there's for our two songs that ended up on our playlist. I was uh, there's two other songs I want. There's two other songs I want. So I was hoping. No, this one's not going to end up on the playlist. Okay, this one's not going to end up on the playlist. But I think 
just in the way that it's constructed from a musical standpoint, it's unlike anything else on this record. Musically, so yeah, one of my notes was this is such a good song rhythmically, musically, and the chorus is all really good. But those verses just kept killing the song for me. I was like, man, what am I listening to? The verses are very traditional campy Halloween. That's exactly what I'm talking about, where it feels like you're listening to the Monster Mash. There, but the subject matter. Okay, so the subject matter. That's what I'm talking about. The verses were killing it for me lyrically. Like, song, musically, rhythmically, and the lyrics of the chorus were all great. But the lyrics of the verses pulled me out of the song every time and made me go, what am I listening to? Uh, yeah, so so the, the subject matter is about a man who is, uh, he's got a, a significant other. He's, a, like, like, jealous or overprotective or paranoid Really? No, he loves them too much, is how I saw it described. Well, (laughs) I wouldn't say... I mean, in his mind, maybe that's what he does. But I don't think this is how loving someone too much manifests itself. That's how I... uh, In a description of the song, I saw that it said that like he kills them because he loved them too much. And was so scared of losing them that it was better to just murder them than go through the loss. Right. So he, he does that. He murders... His significant other, he takes uh, some liberties after that happens. Does some things that are not great. No, and so then the significant other, offended by what's happened. Rightfully so. Comes back from the dead to haunt him. The significant other, she murders him, stabs him 50 times in the chest, (laughs) and then he's dead too. Carl, that (laughs) kills people. Yeah, And, and so then they go on this killing spree together after they're both dead and they realize that, you know, they belong together all along and, and now they're happy forever after in the afterlife. It gave me like rated R Shakespeare vibes. It kind of is a Shakespearean tragedy of ridiculous proportions. Yeah. That, right. It was like, I, like, I, like I was thinking, you know, like Macbeth and some of the other tragedies that have murdery aspects. And I was like, if you just made it rated more rated R and extreme, that's what this song is. Right. Yeah, Sin Gates says, I'm so thankful that we did it, this song, because to me, I feel like we have a song that stands the test of time, and his words, not mine, is one of the greatest songs ever written, like a Bohemian Rhapsody or a Stairway to Heaven. Huh. Uh, He says, even though I didn't write it, I'm probably even more proud that I got to witness it from a fan's perspective and it was my best friend that created it. So I guess this is Avenged Sevenfold's Bohemian Rhapsody. Interesting. Yeah, and in that sense, I think it has to be my favorite on the album. Yeah. Just from the ambition of it, I think, is, is unparalleled. And the execution. I think it's the grandest vision and the most thoroughly realized vision out of any of these tracks. Yeah, I can I can agree with that. I didn't give this song top three. I ended up giving it to other songs. Uh, to me, I, 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 I think I personally prefer Afterlife over this song anyways. But I'd agree that this song is probably at least in the top three, like in terms of how it's put together. Like you said, this is almost like a Bohemian Rhapsody of Avenged Sevenfold. But I just couldn't give it top three for me. There was other things I personally liked more. And the verses, like I said, just killed it for me. Killed it. (laughs) Yeah, ironically. Yeah, it's all about killing it. That's the whole point of the song. But it's a great song in terms of everything but the subject matter. It's really something. And again, I recommend if if you're not a person that's bothered by content, like, it's certainly an experience to listen to this song. It's an experience, but... Yeah, uh, whether it's one you want or not, <laughs> that's a different story. The majority of that parental advisory was probably for this song. 
<laughs> literally, literally almost all of it. There's like some F-bombs sprinkled throughout the rest of the album, but like, this is the one. <laughs> Yikes. But, you know, that's the next to last track. And they come down off of this really wild ride, this really ambitious Halloween Town song. We bring it down into the ballad of the album, Dear God, the album's fourth single. Yep, a nice melodic start to close the album. Absolutely. It's really a huge, steep come down <laughs> from where we've been for the last three or four tracks. And I loved it. I'm sure you did. This here, if you're, again, for those playing along at home, if you've done the math, if you're a squirrel out there, you know. <laughs> if you're a squirrel, yeah. <laughs> if you're a squirrel out there and you're trying to practice your math skills before you applied to our math department, uh, then you would know this is the final counter top three. I'm unsurprised. I mean, not even in the slightest. Uh, my second note after the my melodic start to close the album thing was, uh-oh, I like this, and I'm out of top three in Carnival Mentions. What am I going to do? <laughs> you, you made it work. It's so good. Like, Avenged Sevenfold, like, really held out till the end on their ballad game. It, they nailed it. <laughs> they made you wait for it. Yeah. And it was worth it. I did not see this track coming. Nope. No, you wouldn't. This song's working title was Country Rocker. Yeah, well. <laughs> they said they were listening to all kinds of music around this time and that country was one of the bigger influences, one of the bigger genres that they were getting into. So they started with that opening riff and right away they realized it already had a country twang to it. So they just kind of went with it and then built this whole song around that one riff about this, you know, cowboy type character on the lonely road and he misses his girl it's kind of that classic rock star story yeah it uh, the story is uh, slash message whatever you want to call it is great yeah I, I really enjoy like what this song's singing about you know yeah it's it's so good it's a prayer for the safety of his beloved dear god the only thing i ask of you is to hold her when i'm not around it's it's very good i'm lonely and i'm tired and i'm missing you again and he talks constantly the verses are so well constructed too and it's a bit like he's like sad that he's not there like he wishes he you know he says uh i left her when i found her now i wish i'd stayed yeah like he he's out on the road and the images that they choose to use in the verses reflect that right the cold state line the barren road there's no one here while the city sleeps and everything's closed it's very heartfelt and i love what they do with the chorus um that's how you tie a chorus this is a good example of how to tie a chorus and a verse together the lyrics how they end all their choruses with once again and and then that leads you right into like once again in the chorus it was once again there's nothing here for me on this barren road it's like it's like sickly like really gives you the sense of cyclicalness like he's constantly just on the road all the time and it's never anything new and he all he wants is to be back yeah it's just a great way to go right from the end of a chorus because the chorus really wraps up thematically with the i'm missing you again Oh, yeah. Line. And then in order to get you into the next verse, they attack on that, oh, no, once again. It it does. It's that last little bit to bring you back down. And I like that they have that as kind of, I guess, a little landing strip to get back into the verse. Yeah. The only thing I would say about this song negatively is it wasn't my favorite guitar solo of all the guitar solos on the <gasps> on the album. How dare you? Really? This is your favorite? I'm just kidding. No, it's, oh, okay. no, yeah. it's not. I just okay. wanted to... Whew, scared me there for a second. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> we almost made through the whole album without fighting. Which is impressive. <laughs> That's a rarity, by the way, if you're keeping track. I think we've actually been on uh, the very same page. Yeah, I feel like we usually have at least something to differ about. Yeah. But yeah, there was better guitar solos on the album. So that would have been my only 
But the rest of the song makes up for it, so it's like it's not even really a complaint. Right. Which takes us into the world of Final Spin. We've had ten new songs that we've just discussed. We've got one new score to give it each. So two new scores. Uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> if you've been around before, you know how this works. You're not a squirrel. What, was, what, would, what song is your pick for on our playlist? So I think it's almost a given that you're going to take Dear God or Afterlife, right? Yep, and I'm hoping you take the other. <laughs> well... Which one are you gonna which one are you gonna claim for the playlist? Nope, I'm letting you pick first. I need Afterlife to be on the playlist. Well, I'm picking Dear God then so that you're forced to pick Afterlife. <laughs> Otherwise, if you were gonna pick Afterlife, I'd probably pick Brompton Cocktail. Uh, understandable. Um, but no, I I actually do think so. I my final note on Dear God that I didn't say was that I think that that song came out of nowhere to steal my top song spot. Like that's the only one that I like, I'm not 100% certain. Like, Afterlife could still beat it out, but I think Dear God is what I want on my top spot, so I'm picking Dear God for the playlist. Fair enough. (laughs) That'll be our two. In terms of scores, let's talk about music. I'm going to give music an 85. An 85? Yeah, I think the music, like you talked about, all these songs start really strong. I think they're well-constructed in the ways that they bring you from the verses to the choruses. I think a lot of the choruses are pretty melodic and uh, very good hooks to keep you invested in the song and to keep the song in your memory. I think that's impressive. There are times that the music is a little bit lost on me, you know, or or the music doesn't fit with the lyrics like we talked about on Scream, and it feels a little disconnected. So I'm kind of putting it 85, which is a score, I think, that reflects how the music isn't, like, mind-blowing necessarily, but it certainly does nothing to hurt the album. You know, the music really makes no mistakes even though it doesn't always blow me out of the water. Lyrics are a tougher animal to conquer on this one. They do a lot of really cool imagery, a lot of really clever twists and stuff. And then sometimes, like we talked about, the lyrics just zap you right out of a song, like some of the verses on A Little Piece of Heaven or, you know, a handful of other places where they just really kind of fall flat. The weird violence without violence on Scream is cool, but I think it only, it's got a shelf life. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a trick. I'm thinking lyrics for me on this record, just overall, are going to get a 72. It feels a little bit low for my liking, but, I mean, after thorough consideration, I've had this album in rotation for some nine months now. I just think that's where it's got to be. Instruments and production, for the most part, phenomenal. I think my really only hang-up, my only snag on production, is that one little vocal effect on Lost. It doesn't really get it done for me. Everything else... The way that they blend these genres so well, but also still retain their very unique sound. I mean, it's great. It's phenomenal. And you can't really give any digs to the Revs drums or Sin Gates guitar. It's all very consistently good. Honestly, musically, instrument-wise, it's just about as good of a heavy metal album as you can find. So I'm giving instruments and production a 93. I think that's the album's strongest point. And the vibe... It's good. Like we said, these songs are good, and they're good at a high level consistently. So overall, I mean, no complaints. 87 for vibe from me. So a 90, a 70, and two 80s. In terms of range. In terms of range. Right. Yeah, yeah. In in groups of 10, it's, I guess, a wide range. Yeah, all the way from 72 to 93. Yeah, it's, a, it's one of the higher, I think it's one of the more diverse spreads. It is, and that's because this album is one of the more different albums that we've listened to. Yeah. 
So what's the final score? Adding it all up, the final score is an 83.3. Okay, so wow, the lyrics really hurt it there. They actually, they do drag it down kind of a good chunk. Significantly, because they said you had uh, a 90 and an upper 80, and it's all the way down to the low 80s. Well, but that's the instruments and the vibe, which are the two lowest weighted categories. That's going to put it at number 251, a little above halfway at this point in time. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of where I land on it. I think it's a, a very enjoyable album, and it is it is just a good one to put on when you need this kind of energy. So I like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, for me, just a quick rundown on my top threes. We got Dear God, Afterlife, and Gunslinger. That's the best order I could put them in. Uh, subject to change, really, off of any persuasion. Change it. Carnival... Conorable Mention oh, okay. is I Brompton see. Cocktail, and Conorable Mention, Conorable Mention is Lost. <laughs> right, yeah, the the second tier Conorable Mention. <laughs> the only note I have on the album as a whole, off of what you said, you summed it up pretty perfectly, is I think lyrics I would also be my weakest category if that's how I did it, but not because of the lyrics themselves. I think the lyrics are crafted well. I just think the subject matter leaves some room to grow. You know, like you said. Yeah, and that's part of my score too. What they chose to what they chose to sing about is almost the issue, not how they sang it, you know? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think my score echoes a lot of that more than I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a little okay. Like in a world where that's what you chose to sing about you did it well so commend you on that it's just i would have chose something or a slightly different angle on it yeah a handful of these are are pretty intense yeah which i guess just comes with the territory of the genre but for some people that's what they want so you know yeah Yeah, exactly uh for a score for me i think i'm gonna give this one a comfortable eight wedding roosters out of (laughs) ten yeah that's that's comfortable that's actually, yep. I like that score for you. I don't like that score for where I would put it, yeah. but in your grand scheme of rankings and stuff, I think that's fitting for everything you've said about this album. I mean, you give it a low 80, so we're close. Yeah. We haven't, when was the last eight that you gave? It's been a minute, right? Not really. Um, The last eight that I gave was episode 23, Pentatonics. Oh, well, I mean, that was Christmas. Yeah, but before that, it was before that it was all the way back on Siamese Dream, episode 14. So Wow. Yeah, so every 14 <laughs> episodes you'll award an 8. Yep. <laughs> I really I don't have as many 8s as I thought I did looking at it here. This will be the 6th 8. How about that? So we're pretty much in sync on on the 80 slash No, in sync's a different band. All right. Yeah, this is absolutely not in sync. Can you imagine any of these songs like <laughs> Bye Bye Bye? That'd be wild. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, bye, bye, bye. I've stabbed you 50 times in the chest. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but not what that song's about? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, this really something. <laughs> um, what would Justin Timberlake's Avenged Sevenfold stage name be? Um, Audience, if you have any ideas, let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the comments, tell us what Justin Timberlake's Avenged Sevenfold name Yeah, is. so we finally got a heavy metal album knocked out. How about that? We're... we're diversifying genres even further yeah i have a couple other heavier albums on the list i'm excited to get to sooner or later i'm excited to get to everything on this list sooner or later honestly but this was a good one to start off with i think this is a good gateway into the heavy metal genre at least for our podcast yeah what are we doing next week next week we are taking it way back to the 1960s for an album that can only be described as pet sounds by the beach boys oh 
I feel like there's other ways to describe it, but that's the most accurate way. Well, it's the only album that could be described as Pet Sounds by the Be... It's the most <laughs> yeah. thorough way to describe what the album we're doing is. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's an album that's very unique. There's nothing quite like it in music that I've found, and there's a ton of good stories behind it, too. So if you like the Beach Boys or you like that era of rock music, stay tuned. We're going to get into it. And it's going to be great. It's wintertime. Everybody's missing summer when it's warm out, you know, so we're going we're gonna to take it over to the beach. You know what? We're talking about the Beach Boys. It's going to be fun, fun, fun till her daddy takes the T-Bird away. Stick around. I assume that's lyrics from the Beach Boys. Yeah, not from the album we're doing, but, but still oh. Beach Boys lyrics. <laughs> anyway, until we see you next week, have a great week. You can find us on all the social medias, at SpinItPod Official on Instagram and at SpinItPod on Twitter, SpinItPod.com on the web. Check it out. We've we've kind of revamped our, our ranking list, made it a little more user-friendly on the website so you can see all the albums that we've scored, that I've scored, and some of them that Connor has scored. I've only scored the ones we've done on the podcast. That's true. But until next time, keep... Spinning! spinning. Oh, I was supposed to say spinning, but you paused for I did. Well, and then you didn't say it. Yeah, I did. Oh. No, I think we said it at different times. Well, I said it as I heard you saying it. I'm going to blame it on Craig. Bye, bye, bye.